Welcome to episode three of the Black Belly Dance Bundle podcast series. Today's topic is, what's it like to travel as a black belly dancer? Join me, Ebony, and Tiffany as we sit down with brilliant dancers, Rox Razi, Laura Adrienne, Donna Mejia, Lotus Naraja, and Nefertiti for an inspiring conversation about and celebration of our opportunities, learnings, and stories of travel as Black artists. We're going to muse on our favorite travel destinations, and we're going to share some really wild excursion tales. We're also going to discuss working in a country of origin, exoticism, and so much more. We really hope this discussion will inspire your travels as well. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Yala Rocks. My name is Tiffany, and usually I'm the host, but as we've been doing for the past couple of episodes, I'm going to hand it over to our guest host, Ebony. Thanks, Tiffany. So we are back for our third and final episode of the Black Belly Dance Bundle podcast series. Today, we're talking about what it's like to travel as a Black belly dancer. We're going to talk about where we've been and how it's been. We're going to share our stories of wanderlust and our cultural learnings. So I'm here today with Laura Adrian. Nefertiti, Donna Mejia, Lotus Naraja, and Razi. So to start it off, I was thinking we could talk about, well, actually, I really wanted to talk to Nefertiti. I wanted to ask Nefertiti and Laura what it's like for you all, because you are two of very few Black belly dancers that I know who have danced in a country of origin. So I really wanted to ask um, Nefertiti, did you want to start what your experiences were like in Egypt? Sure. Hi, everybody. How are you? And Hi. We're excited for because I think it's really important for dancers, color, black dancers to realize there's opportunities across the pond. It's just us getting across the pond is what can sometimes stop us and our exploration, this art form. So I lived in Egypt for several years, and I will tell you, you know, I was probably crazy for going there by myself as a single black woman. Um, <laughs> but um, there is no comparison to Egypt in the U.S. It's totally different as far as culture goes. But my experience were good and bad. Mm. Um, I chose to live in an area where there were no... Um, Canadians, Americans, or Brits. I lived in a what they call a kind of a shabby area, um, and I wanted to get immersed in the culture and understand the dance more and, and be more authentic in who I was. And so that was great for me, being among the people and learning um, from sisters, and I call them sisters, um, uh, that really helped me understand what it's like navigate this. That's another story, right? Those things, I think, really helped me understand, you know, the the legacy and the understanding of what it's like to be an Egyptian, because living among the people, among the sisters of Egypt, um, and then going to Luxor and Aswan, you know, being in the culture was amazing for me as a Black dancer. I was received very warmly. Um, of course, there's times that you're in tourist areas where you know, you might be frowned upon being a black dancer. But what I normally got, because I was there at the time when Obama was in office, 
So, you know, walking the streets always got all Obama colors. So I always like shook my hand like this. <laughs> and, you know, I was received warmly by the Egyptians there. Um, I did not find as nearly as much racism in Egypt as a black dancer as I have in the US. Hmm. And that's a true, honest statement. Okay. Um, I. Uh, yeah, I, and I, I believe for me, I was connected with, uh, with you know, several um, legacy teachers there that really helped me navigate and helped me get out there. But it was a good experience, dance-wise, for me to perform all over the Middle East. I would have been to Dubai, to Bahrain, to Saudi. I, um, uh, I've been a couple of places where I, you know, I probably shouldn't have gone, but. You know, you do things when you're over there. You try it out and see what happens. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so my experiences were, were pretty good. I was very fortunate uh, when I was there. And I left right a month before the uprising because I felt the energy at that time wasn't safe. Just mm -hmm. as a woman, as a an American, um, I realized that it was time for me to go. And with my mother had gotten ill, that's when I left. And I'm fortunate I didn't go back. But as far as culturally speaking for the dance, it was wonderful and I was received wonderfully. So I always tell people if you're hearing the story, especially from non-black dancers that were not treated well, that you know there's a lot of racism. Um, I think it's bullshit. <laughs> Can I say shit in my act like that? But yeah. It's so interesting yeah. that you said that Nefertiti because white people have told me a couple of times that Turkey is really racist. And I mean, I'm, I do know, I do know people who have dealt with racism in Turkey, but like, that's not, um, I just, it's really interesting to have people, non-people of color tell me it's racist. And that wasn't my experience. Mm -hmm. I, I, I just, I, I've never heard anybody else have that same experience. Oh, good. I'm glad that people can hear this then and get a feeling that don't listen to those that haven't lived the life. You know, come to people that have lived it and, you know, and learn from our experiences. But no, it's, you know, when I hear, you know, I just have to say it, you know, white dancers saying it's so bad and they don't like black dancers. And, you know, I'm like, have you not been to Egypt and seen all the colors of skin? I, that doesn't make any sense to me. Mm. Um, so, as I said, it, it was a one experience. Don't let that stop you. If that's your dream, go across the line, live the life, explore the culture, and you'll walk away with some amazing experiences that'll serve you in this dance. I think, it, yeah, it's so good for me to hear that perspective, Nefertiti. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, and Laura, what about you? How was your experience being in Turkey? I don't, did you, did you also dance in Egypt? I was on that show, Al Rakhisa. Right. I, I was on, but um, I didn't perform in Egypt. What I did was, um, I don't know what year it was, maybe 2010, something like that. I wanted to dance abroad and it occurred to me that um, it, it, I wanted to dance abroad. And so I tried to dance in the Middle East and I was told that I wasn't going to be able to get any contracts because I was too dark. So I kind of gave up. Then um, later... And because I was dancing in DC, it was like, oh, well, I guess it's just not meant to be. I'm not going to force it. Um, 
then later when I was working in DC and dancing in DC, I <laughs> got laid off from my fired actually from my day job. And I said, Oh, well, you know what? I'm going to take this opportunity to go back to Turkey because I had lived there for a while, not dancing, but um, working. And then I'm going to visit some friends and then I'm going to go to Egypt and I'm going to learn Egyptian Arabic. And then I'm going to come back to the U S and I'm going to continue dancing and knowing Egypt will help me with my dance career here in the U S. But what happened was I went to Turkey, but I never made it to Egypt. I, I met a woman. She was Turkish American. She was Turkish, but she had been living in New York and she was arranging some belly dance festival and she wasn't a dancer. She was a dance enthusiast and she had a dance studio. And while I was there, I met a Turkish dancer and she introduced me to a couple of people. And eventually I started gigging in Turkey, which was amazing. And you had a, you had a pretty good experience gigging in Turkey, right? Like you were well-received. I had a great experience gigging in Turkey for the most part. Like all of the horrible things that happened to me while I was living in Turkey was not because, were not because I was black. It was because I was a woman. So if I was ever mistreated Mm -hmm. 99% of the time, it was not because I was black. Um, I, as a dancer abroad, I did have trouble with like, um, maybe people trying to date me or people trying to take my tips, like managers trying to take your tips or, um, those things aren't necessarily specific to no, as a black dancer, mm-hmm. I was well received and it, it was a great experience. I, I really enjoyed, um, the opportunity to dance so often and to really hone my skills. Well, it was really good for me to see you there. Like it just really inspired me to see another black woman doing that because I didn't, I didn't really know of anybody else who had done it. Um, so I think I, one night when I came to visit you, like broke down and was like, it's so good for me to see you here. <laughs> I remember. Um, so yeah, I want to, uh, reach out and ask like Lotus, I know that you're in Portugal right now and you're like living the dream. It just looks so amazing what you, what you've decided to do. And, um, yeah. Did you want to talk about how things are going for you and in your past travels? Certainly. Um, yes, I'm currently living in Lisbon, Portugal. Um, love it here. Uh, sunny, uh, beautiful, sunny uh, Portugal, just beautiful beaches, everything. But um, my journey uh, as far as traveling and dance is I wanted to be able to bridge the two. My passion is dance, but my affair was with uh, with travel. And I was trying to find a way to connect the two. Um, the best way that I could put it is I wanted to start dancing abroad. I wanted to get the contracts abroad. And I was hustling dance just like every other dancer out there. You're working gigs, working contracts, doing workshops, but I just had this yearning to to do stuff abroad. So um, one day I was teaching at a New York uh, convention uh, and someone from the UK said, hey, I remember you, you know, 
working in the working in the UK at a um, London convention. Do you mind coming back? I have other opportunities, you know, for you and people really enjoyed what you did. And I was like, wait, this door just get kicked open. So I did. I just <laughs> I jumped right through that door and it was amazing. It was a it was a dream come true. I was able finally to make that connection. Both both of them feed my soul. Um, I've been traveling forever. My husband and I travel together and being able to make, to connect the dots and make contracts in countries, uh, European countries, Asian countries. It was just, you know, it was just one, one after one after one. And all it took was someone reaching out to me or me just shooting an email saying, Hey, I may be in your area or Hey, um, and it didn't even have to be a belly dance studio. It could just be a regular dance studio. And they're just like, oh, oh, well, that sounds interesting. Here are some videos. This is what I do. Look at all of these other dancers. So it gave me a great way to not only make connections and network. And now that I'm living here in uh, technically Europe, but in, in Lisbon, Portugal, so many more opportunities have opened up to me because I now am across the big pond. So now I can shoot over here. I can go to Greece. It's easy to go to Asia, India. So it, I, I love it. I absolutely love uh, the connections that were made that way. So I hope that answered your question. Oh, it totally did. And I, I think hearing that makes me so happy. It probably makes everybody else really happy too, that you're doing that. Um, yeah. And then Donna, I know that you've traveled extensively too. How, how has it been for you? Do you have anything that, any stories that you want to share or um, any of your experiences? Oh, thank you, Ebony. I think my experiences have been very different only because most, well, I've done a lot of commercial engagements and private engagements around the world, but the majority of my extended residencies were through the university systems of the world. Mm -hmm. Um and so it's always interesting because um, there's a, a, I guess, a code amongst university professors worldwide. You know, there's respect for scholarship, for contributions to the field. And it's, it's lovely to automatically have these um, social systems established when you arrive. And so there's a little bit of privilege that comes with that to be able to walk into a place and suddenly you're having you know dinner with the president and meeting with counselors and meeting with with you know representatives and it's all because of your title and it always felt weird to me because the title I felt was a backstage pass to experiences that um, how would I say that experiences that would not have come right and landed in my lap just for who I was. Yeah. And I was always hyper aware of trying to realize that when you're abroad on university business, you are considered also a representative of the university. So there are explorations I wanted to have. There are things I wanted to try. And many times I had to be careful because uh, they consider you out on university business and mm -hmm. it's a, a coded trip in that way. Um, I think one of the funniest things that happened to me is I was um, teaching for three years at the Performing Arts University in Taipei, the capital city of Taiwan. Mm -hmm. And 
I had an artist that came to watch my class and then he approached me afterwards. His name was Leo Shaolu. And he said, hey, why don't you come stop by my company's rehearsal? Let's do an exchange. Come see what we do. I was like, great, I'll be there. And I, he wrote the address in Chinese for me so that I could just hand it to a cab driver. Long story short, a week later, I get into a cab and the cab driver is very nervous looking at the card and he's driving around the block and he's looking and he's nervous and he doesn't had uh, we didn't have enough conversancy in the same language for him to explain to me what his concerns were. And finally, he stopped the car quickly and he pointed down a long, skinny alley and he just pointed and said we should get out of the car. And so I was with my partner at the time and we jumped out and he just sped off. And I was like, where are we? I don't see any signs. I don't see a dance studio. I don't know what's going on. And I walked to what looked like an open door and it was a staircase descending into an underground space and it was very dark. And as I went down into the space, I'm like, I don't think we're in the right place. And as I rounded the corner at the stair, hmm. I saw slicked up bodies sliding all over each other in the dark. And I was like, <gasps> breaking university codes. I need to get out of here quickly. And all of a sudden, my friend Leo Shaolu emerges from this group of people. He's like, welcome, welcome to rehearsal. Come on in. Huh. And I was like, wait, naked. Where are we? Naked bodies. Just a little thong on, just a little thong on. And what it was is he was doing something astonishing. All of his dancers were slicked up in baby oil and they had bungee cords on um, to the ceiling and they were bouncing and moving all over each other with a rubberized floor, sliding off of bodies. And when I let myself see past my assumptions, I was seeing the most extraordinary dance that I'd seen in my entire life. To this day in my career, I've never seen anything like it. And so those are the kind of things where I found I had a filter that was from the university. Yeah. And I always had to slow down and make sure that I wasn't um, losing the option to see the world in new eyes and with in new ways by having you know a label and a title that followed me everywhere that I went. And I was bummed that I wasn't able to complete the biggest assignment that I was negotiating. I was about to teach at Helwan University in downtown Cairo when the Arab Spring broke out and um, the contract had to be canceled uh, because my sponsors started saying, I'm going to see if I can immigrate to the U.S. And I'm like, well, if my sponsor is trying to get out, maybe I shouldn't go over there on my own right now. And I, to this day, uh, wonder what my life would have been like and what kind of things I would have seen and learned yeah. had I been able to teach at Helwan University. Um, so yeah, the educational system is different. And I usually have to point that out to commercial sponsors as well, mm -hmm. because they have exclusivity clauses in many of their contracts. And I have to say, no, I'm sorry, the educational circuit is separate and those are excluded from any exclusivity contracts. Mm -hmm. um, because education is about learning and cultural exchange. And many times, sometimes the dollars don't even pass hands. Well, I that is an amazing story, <laughs> the one about Taipei. And I feel like, you know, you said you had on the lens of like, from the university standpoint, I feel like your apprehension might have also been your lens as a Black woman, you know, like just you telling the story of like, the long narrow alley and then like going down all of our faces in here we were all like this 
I just knew somebody was getting sacrificed. I just knew. I know everyone was like, don't do it. Don't do it. Back out. <laughs> I thought it was a brothel. I, I, I thought we were going down into a brothel. <laughs> All of us so were not. <laughs> I, I just I just knew somebody was popping out of the corner and then she said people were slipped up in baby oil and I was like, Oh, this is brown shirt <laughs> confessions territory. Oh my god. Am I the only one who wanted tickets? You want to <laughs> I mean I do I, now that she said it, I do kind of want to see how this turned out because it sounded like it was oh, fun. Amazing. I hope Leo Shalu's career has gone through the roof uh, because he was astonishing. But honestly, every other place. I have some visual ambiguity in my multi-ethnicity. And so I think a lot of people are confused and don't know what I am when they see me in other countries. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was screamed at in South Africa by a young boy who told me I was a devil and that I had no right to live. A young was that because you're a light skin? Cause I know with some people albinos, they're mm -hmm. like, they're, they're devils, they're ghosts, and they will try to like yeah. take you off the census if they can. Yeah, so I've had a lot of difficulty traveling in Africa for that reason, mm -hmm. um, but I still keep going back because that's where my deepest learning and joy can be found. Mm -hmm. And in Europe, I remember I was in Prague looking up at the architecture and stunned for a couple of days. And when I finally brought my eyes down to the level of living, I started noticing how rudely I was being treated and how much I was being stared at. And I know once in Spain, I had men blowing smoke in my face and slamming doors on me. And mm. so I would agree with what Lara said that frequently my travels as a woman are complicated by the fact that I'm also ethnically ambiguous to many people and they don't know where to categorize me. Mm -hmm. With that, I was, um, lots to think about for me. I'm always nervous when I take a trip. I'll pass it to my sisters now. Thank you for hearing me. You never know what's going to happen. Like it, that's definitely a unique experience. Um, and I, I think you bringing up th that story, it, I, I feel like a lot of us balance between trying to protect yourself and look out for like that dark alley versus being open to a new experience that might be like beautiful. Um, and that's like, I feel like that's a line that we straddle a lot when we travel. And Rosie, you look like you're going to say something about that. I want to jump in. I'm like, put me in coach, put yeah. me in. <laughs> but like part of that is also the fact that one, we want to be safe Two, our families want us to be safe. So you notice that a lot of times when you're saying you're going out, out of the country, or if you're if you. God forbid you say you're going by yourself. Then if you tell your family or your friends or your loved ones, they're going to be like, oh my God, why would you do that? Why can't you just stay here? Who are you going with? Where can I find you? You know, what happens if I can't reach you? Because if you are with, uh, within a certain uh, tax bracket, it might not be easy to jump upon or to take a flight or to take a cruise. So your families tend to worry. And then a lot of times your families will inadvertently guilt trip you into out of doing that thing in order to keep you safe. And I think as dancers of color, especially darker skin dancers, that is where we tend to fall off only because we either don't have the means to 
take that risk or if we take that risk we don't know how to uh what's the word not protect yourself but know what to do in order in case something happens and then we're a lot a lot of times we're scared that something might happen if that makes sense yeah for sure it's it's definitely like a delicate balance and i always have to remind myself that you know my family members who might be really um have a lot of nervousness towards the things I'm going to do. I have to remind myself that they have good reason for their fear. Yeah. Um, because part of you might want to be like, you're scared I'm going to Turkey and Egypt. I live in DC. Right. Exactly. That's exactly. So real. <laughs> like when, when uh, I went to Egypt last year with Nefertiti and a lot of times my mom would be like, well, what if something happens? What if this, that, and the other? I'm like, Ma, I live in Atlanta. This happens down the street. <laughs> like Egypt is the least of your problems. The only thing you really got to worry about is me getting on the plane because these uh, these COVID tests before the vaccine came out were brutal. You had to have it within a certain you know window and whatnot. But a lot of times, the very least of our worries always already happens in our uh, backyard. So at this point, it's just being being able to have, uh, what do you say, have faith in yourself to step out on faith and take that risk, you know? Yeah, I love that, Rosie. Do you do you find that there's been certain places that you've traveled to where you feel especially welcome? The last place that I traveled to outside of Egypt, Egypt was pretty cool. We did get, uh, we were very welcome when we were in Egypt. A lot of the darker skinned people who looked like me, they were like, oh my God, we look, we're the same, you know, we're the same, we're glad to see you, this, that, the other. Um, I, a couple of years ago, I went to Japan for a stage play in Tokyo, and that was pretty much homegrown. Uh, some of the dancers here in Atlanta, we linked up with some dancers in Japan. It was like, hey, we wanna do a stage play, are you down? And they were like, yeah. So when we got there, that was actually really fun. A lot of the dancers there, um, there weren't that many professional dancers. A lot of them, they do it as hobbies. Well, they were so excited to have us there, you know? So it was a little bit of a culture exchange, you know, the language barrier was there, but we were able to kind of understand through motion and through action. We had one person who was the translator, um, but I had a good experience in Japan, but also it's Japan and it's the city, uh, the city of Tokyo. So the, being a darker skinned person there might be different than being a darker skinned person in rural Japan. And I'm assuming because Ebony, you went to Japan too. So you might've had a different experience, right? Well, what's interesting is whenever I first uh, started to travel internationally for dance work, I was most um, in demand in Asian cities. Mm -hmm. Like the world over, the people who wanted me to come and teach and perform the most were people in Japan, China, yes. um, India, South Korea. So I, I'm not sure. Ex I have a little bit of an idea why I was so popular in Asia. Somebody once told me that I had some YouTube videos that really blew up in Asia. Um, but yeah, people in Asia seem to be all about some ebony for a long time. So yeah, and I was always treated really well. Um, I always it, had, and it was great because I love Asian cities. So mm -hmm. I, I had a great time everywhere I went. But I do also understand that I was showing up in these cities as an artist that was invited. So I was like hosted and I had people taking me around. So there's a lot of privilege to that. It's not like I was, you know, just showing up by myself. 
So, yeah, and I also think uh, with a lot of those, with a lot of those cities, and um, Donna might be able to tell to tell us a little better. Uh, hip hop tends to be really big out there. Hip hop is some elements of Black culture, so it's like if we get like a authentic Black person, it's like yes, learn all you can. Yeah, for sure. Razi, this is Donna speaking. That is so true. That is so true. Matter of fact, I would have young folks come to my dance classes and just hang around. And then afterwards, as I'm packing up, you know, a whole crew would walk up to me like, we want to battle. And I'm like, <laughs> I am not going to battle you right now. But, but hello, hi, my name is Donna. Let's talk a little bit. And then they'd say, okay, well then come to the club. And so I would get to go to these nightclubs and see their rendition of our culture. And so that's where, for me, it's been a scholarly pursuit as well, Razi, and what you're saying in that there has been a flow and an exchange of culture that's been happening for at least 30 years in a contemporary setting, right? So you've got the, um, the remix of, of dance vernacular that we're doing of source cultures, but in reverse, the Arab world loves hip hop. The whole world loves hip hop. It became the number one music of the world in 2017. Oh, was it really like a, the number wow. one? Wow. I just wanted to drop in uh, and agree with all of you. Uh, Asia, especially Japan, has been wonderful for contract opportunities. It's 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 an open door. Um, in landing dance opportunities uh, in Japan, Razi, same same thing. The it, it's you're embraced. Your how you teach and how you dance seems to be very embraced there. Um, when I was there in Tokyo, it was Maragan Shabi uh, putting a different spin on it. The the dances they don't necessarily get from their teachers, those were the most popular ones that, you know, oh, look through, look through all of your classes. No, we want this. We want the edge. We want the hip hop. We want the street dance, the urban. We, we want all of the urban dance classes. And give me the dirt. Yes. Give me the dirt. That's what I want. And so once Maragan, one, once urban belly dance or street belly dance um, style opened up, that's when all the opportunities came through. So I just, I, I always want to tell dancers, especially dancers who are listening into this podcast, don't be afraid to reach out, especially to Asia. Don't be afraid to uh, contact someone and try to get an opportunity over there because they're there. They love us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, does anyone want to share travel experiences like funny stories um you know i i had one really unique experience which is kind of the opposite of some of the stuff that we were talking about in the podcast episode when we were talking about um when we were talking about like our hair like our hair as black dancers like how we are often often needing or feeling like we need to conform i had this weird experience where um I was going to perform and the host was pretty upset that I wasn't going to wear an Afro, my Afro. And that's like the reverse of what you would think. And um, 
it was it was very strange. I was like, but because I was doing something else, I was, you know, your different styles of dance or your different music that you'll use will often suggest what you should be wearing. And like, maybe you want to pull all that together. And this particular piece I was doing, I was not going to wear an afro. And it was just funny because this person was non-black and they were like, well, maybe you can take your afro out for the second piece. So I, I was wearing a wig. So you know what goes on under a wig, right? So <laughs> that is so funny. It was funny, but it was awkward. And it was, um, you know, I was speaking to a friend who was like talking me through it. And my friend was like, listen, you're not you're not like a baby doll that someone hired that, you know, you show up and look, however, you know, you're an artist. So that was like one different cultural thing. Like, cause this was a non-American situation that I was in where my host expected me to look blacker than I was like blacker than I was presenting at the, in that particular day. So yeah, I don't know if anyone has ever experienced that. I know it's usually the other way around. They want you blackity black black. I've had that in Turkey too. I've I've had like now that you mention it, and you know what? Maybe it's not that funny. It's just so ridiculous that it's that it, it struck me as funny. But I have had people like find out I'm a belly dancer, and they're like, "Well, well, do you off do you also do hip hop?" And I mean, I can dance hip hop when I hear it, but I'm not going to do it on stage. And they also wanted me to do like a samba because I look like I could be Brazilian or I look like I should be good at hip hop. And I'm not, I can only do that one basic Samba step. And mm -hmm. you know, I can only do hip hop in a club, mm -hmm. but they, they assume. And I've also had somebody ask me if I, if I had an Afro and I said, actually, no, my, I don't. And like, didn't believe me. Like you have one in your pocket that you <laughs> 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 We wear our Afros as hats around here. So I have had that more in Turkey, more than racism, you run into fetishism. Um, mm -hmm. Exotification. Yes, 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 exactly. Mm -hmm. um, they, 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 like I get, I've gotten a lot of times, oh, do you have a brother? I want to have mixed kids or mixed kids are so cute or, you know, you you get that a lot. Um, not, you know, not every day, but, you know, mm -hmm. so often. Yeah. They're very interested in, some people are really interested in how Black you are or, I don't know, exoticism, yeah. as as the professor put it. Donna, <laughs> wanting to add something? <laughs> I had the most unusual situation that happened as well in Asia. I was in a night market, which is where the streets uh, convert into being shopping areas and vendors set up food stands, that kind of thing. And there was a group of women, I was walking with two of my hosts. And there was a group of women that were starting to speak in a very animated, loud way behind me. And my host grabbed my elbow and started walking a little faster. And then I realized she was trying to usher me forward because the women were talking about me and I didn't know who they were. Long story short is I said, what are they yelling about? Because they were really raising their voice. She said, they are angry about your wig. And I turned around and I'm like, this is not a wig. These are my locks. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> you know, this, this is my natural. And that was the wrong thing to do. I became defensive as if I thought I could educate. And instead, they started screaming at me, basically in Chinese saying, you dumbass Americans, you think we don't know your hair is fake. We're so sick of you fake women, blah, 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 blah. And then one of them reached out and tried to grab my hair and rip my hair off my head. And I started getting physically assaulted and security had to be called. And two um, Chinese male security guards had to usher me out of the night market and ask me to go home for my own safety. Whoa. And um, yeah, so that's the kind of thing where our, our hair is a point of fascination mm -hmm. and you know, the ability to be versatile, to ha have texture or to wear it smooth or to wear it long or to shave it short and all of the things that, um, that black beauty can do in its versatility, I think ends up being um, very much exotified around the world. It, for sure. It seems to confound people to some extent. I mean, to the point that they're driven to violence. I'm so sorry that you had that experience. That's terrifying. Yeah. How many of you have been touched on a bus where someone just reaches out to touch your hair? All of us probably around the world. Yes. All of us. To the point I just started swinging. Living in Egypt for so long. I mean, I was sexually harassed and touched without permission so many times. Yeah. That, mm -hmm. uh, it was, just, it was common. That's why I started taking the female microbus, which was another experience in itself, just so I wouldn't be accosted by men. Um, because they had this crazy system. This one guy told me that they ranked black women as the number one lovers in Egypt. I'm like, there's a ranking system? Well, that's a lot. I didn't know about that. I've heard of that in uh, South and Central America, too. Yeah. And so there was this thing that, oh, you're you're a black American, that means you're hot. So I, I, you know, I definitely can relate to the young lady that had mentioned that it wasn't, um, it was just being a female and then being a, a black female, of course, in your, in, in that country, I'm considered hot and good in bed. So that just gave them the license to wanna to touch. And so that was something that was quite scary, especially towards the end of my stay there. It was, it was happening more and more where I actually, got pulled over and this microbus guy went by my stop and went to deserted road and tried to rape me there. And uh, that's when I knew that really, okay, now it's time for me to get out of here. It just went wonkies real bad and it didn't feel safe. And, you know, I had a black guy, I had a rock and hit him upside the head with it. I mean, it was, it was horrible, that experience. But oh those God. are things that, you know, you know, I, I travel extensively um, and I just wasn't paying attention to my surroundings. I mean, I often go back to that night and think, what could I have done, done differently? Um, and I wasn't paying attention that night, to be honest with you. Um, but still, I give this person no right to touch me without his permission. Without permission. Definitely so I think when we're awesome. doing these types of traveling, we have to be conscious of you know, our surroundings and taking all necessary steps to be safe. Um, and knowing that, especially if you're in Asia or if you're in Europe, you know, there are their eyes attract to our color uh, and it makes us targets at times. And so that, that's my tip to anyone that's listening to this that want to travel abroad, be aware of your surroundings. That is very appreciated. And I am so sorry to hear of that experience, Nefertiti. Um, does anyone else have 
a specific time. I was going to jump in with one of my experiences when I was in India. Um, I had two, two experiences. One, um, the inappropriate, unwanted touching. Uh, I have the benefit of traveling with my husband, so his presence adds a bit of security. But uh, one of the events or, or one of the places that I was at, every time my husband went to walk away, I actually either ended up being touched, my hair caressed. I even got pinched on my booty a couple of times uh, in this place. And it got to the point where I just yelled out and I told my husband, I said, you cannot leave me. You have to stay here. It was just, it was... It didn't come like rapid fire, but it was as soon as he walked away, there was a touch, a touch, a touch. And then I, and then all of a sudden, it's, I guess because I stood there, I probably I was in shock that I was being touched this way. Um, it, then all of a sudden they started touching my butt and I felt a pinch and I jumped in that I called, called for my husband. I said, you can't leave. I, I don't care if I need water or coffee or whatever you have to stay here. So it was, it was really, it was disgusting. It was absolutely disgusting. The only other thing is, uh, as far as safety with travel is also being aware of the politics of where you're traveling to. Uh, we were staying at a beautiful hotel in Mumbai and we were about to step outside. I was waiting for uh, my ride to come uh, grab me, to come pick me up. And then all of a sudden, this very nice hotel personnel person came up to us and said, I'm sorry, but we would like for you to remain inside and refrain from going outside. Um, at this time, there are protests going on. So we are asking all of the guests uh, to stay for their safety in the hotel. And I'm like, but I have to get somewhere. I have to get somewhere. I have a ride coming. And he's like, I'm so sorry. We cannot guarantee your safety. Well, there was a caste protest um, happening at the time. And in this beautiful area in Mumbai, us stepping outside of the hotel, we could have been injured. We could have been killed. So we actually had to wait. There were thousands of people in the streets, the fires, cars were turned over. And it just made me realize Oh my gosh, you this in this beautiful, grand, beautiful hotel, stepping outside, you're 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 putting your life out there. You're taking a chance when you step outside this hotel. And they barred the doors. So there was that other uncomfortable feeling like, oh crap, I can't leave the hotel. I'm actually being held hostage here. I'm being, you know, hostage may be a strong word, but my freedom was being compromised because of the politics of another area of another country. So those were my two situations. Wow. Yeah, that's, uh, that's frightening. I mean, yeah, it's I mean, horrifying. It, yeah, it's not just being a woman. It's not just being black. You also so, sometimes just being an American or like knowing what politics are going on or what what's going on mm -hmm. where you are staying is like, these are things that you need to know in advance. Yes. Um, and keep top of mind as you move about. So I want to steer the conversation in the direction of who has, who would like to share like some of your favorite places 
like where's your favorite place that you've gone that you've had like a really good experience, um, whether it be like the beauty of the place or the people that you met and, and got to dance with or the people you got to know? I can jump in real quick. Uh, my favorite place to dance or that I have danced so far, uh, and it was by chance, was in Egypt uh, last year. So um, I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the um, the series of workshops we did with uh, Tommy King and Yusri and Aida Noor and Lucy. Uh, so this was my first time being in Egypt. And one thing I learned is when uh, Tommy does workshops. He also does them with Yusri El Hefti, who is a major drummer out there. So we were warming up, getting everything set up for recording, and Yusri is warming up on his tabla. And, you know, I'm just sitting here just doodling, 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 listening to the rhythm, not paying attention. And I, like, I had stopped, and he stopped. And he looked at me and I looked at him and he goes back to playing. So I guess he wanted me to dance. And I was like, oh, my God, this is not a drill. OK, we're going to go. <laughs> so I think that was like one of my most fun moments as a dancer, just to be, you know, the stars aligned to just have this one little moment to play and have fun with somebody you would have never thought that you had a chance or even would be in the same room with. Yeah. Uh, also with. Uh, Dr. Hassan Khalil, who uh, I met through Nefertiti. We got to meet him. I've been in his house. His house is amazing. If you guys ever get to go, you guys should totally go. But those are some, that's a light hearted memory. I think that was one of my favorite memories as a dancer traveling so far. Uh, Nefertiti, where's your favorite place? Oh, let's see here. Woo, that's a hard one. You know, my favorite place, my most interesting place, I think I danced. I will have to be not my favorite, yes, for for the beauty of it was Antarctica. Um, I was commissioned to <laughs> and um, I did um, Nat Geo expedition cruise ship, and I was contracted there, and I did a show um, going through the Drake Passage, which is the most dangerous water in the world, um, and we were having a storm. And in the middle of my show, uh, I think it was the middle, yeah, I hadn't got to the drum solo. So yeah, it was the middle of my show. They started, the sirens start going off and I'm looking around like, hmm, I think I should be worried. And then they start all around this big room, like putting us in. And I was, I literally like stopped and said, should I like pack up my stuff and go? I look at my husband who I travel with as well. And I'm like, should we be worried? <laughs> and we were heading to a big storm and they locked us in the middle of the cruise ship as we were going through the Drake. And I tell you, it was the best show because I did not throw up. <laughs> As we hit those waves, it was the best show ever. I held it down, y'all. I held it down. But those waves, woo! But that was my best show, and I got a, I, I got talked about quite a bit because I held it down and I danced through going through the Drake Passage in the middle of the storm. And someone's got a video. I think my friend Alex has a video of that. But that was an interesting show. Wow. 
what in the world? Well, first of all, I don't think I know anyone else who's been to Antarctica. And not only did you go, you were performing on a ship during a storm. During a storm. Yeah. That was this that, is how that rolls. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. <laughs> this same company hired me to go to Tahiti next month. So I'm like, I don't have to worry about throwing up or the hip or the, the rough passage next month. But yeah, that was the most scariest, but my greatest show, I think, because I held it down. And, <laughs> and when I said I held it down, I mean, I held my stomach in. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, Donna, what about you? What's your favorite? Oh, you're kind to ask. I cannot think of a favorite, to be honest with you. Every place that I've gone, sometimes it's a food adventure. Sometimes it's a people adventure. Sometimes it's an environmental um, awe that overwhelms me. Um, and sometimes it's just one experience. You meet someone that just blows your heart so far open that you think, I never would have thought I would find that here, but somehow the magic found me. So I would have to say it made me feel as if the world is my family and it gave me a lot of reverse culture shock coming home sometimes. Um, but it also made me fall in love with humans and want to be very patient, very giving, very, very generous in spirit with all humans. And so I think for me, some people learn that or inherently have that in their personalities. I learned it through travel. Um, and that was a maturing that I needed because I was pretty self-centered as a young person. So I'm just grateful for everywhere that I've been. That's beautiful. I love that. L Laura, do you wanna share your favorite? First of all, I'm touched by what Donna just said. You are so interesting. I've always admired you. Ever since the first time I saw you on YouTube. But anyway, love um, back at you. Love back. Thank at you. you. <laughs> thank you. Um, I actually want to say something kind of similar. Um, living in Turkey gave me an opportunity to do a lot of things that I couldn't have done otherwise. Like when Nefertiti was talking, I remembered that I also did a cruise and I got to see Greek islands and Santorini and it was amazing. And then when Donna Mejia was talking, I remembered um, like environmentally beautiful. Once I got a phone call at like 7 a.m. to do a gig that night in Dalaman, which is a different part of Turkey. And I was like delirious. I didn't know what they were, what they were talking about. But I packed a costume and I went and I was flown to Dalaman and it's a mountain and we were at a hotel. And then that night, like 10 girls performed at like this corporate celebration of some kind. It was amazing. So I've had a lot of really amazing experiences, bad ones too, but it, like it shaped me as a person. Um, yeah, it's just been great. And yeah amazing i don't have a favorite that's beautiful laura you don't have to pick one favorite but like that <laughs> that share was great and then lotus <laughs> want to share it doesn't have to be one favorite it can be just what you love 
there's there's so much there's so much beauty in every single country that I've either uh, had the opportunity to teach or perform in, but there is one little country that captured my heart. Um, it was uh, San Marino. It basically is a country within a country. And I was invited to uh, perform in Italy, uh, in Rimini. So there were two shows. There was Rimini and there was uh, San Marino. And you heard about San Marino, but you're thinking it's it's like Vatican City. And what I loved about San Marino is the moment I arrived, I, I just felt like I was transformed back in time. The small cobblestone streets, the stone streets, um, the the medieval architecture, walking through different tunnels and archways, and then this is just to get to the theater and getting up to the theater. There was this huge fountain and I felt like, Oh gosh, th this, this was a fantasy place to actually perform in. And then when I walked into the theater with the murals on the walls and the, the tile, all Italian style, it, it I, I just stood there and my husband has a picture of me standing there with my mouth open. Like I'm actually going to dance in this place. It, it just, it stole my heart. So probably San Marino for its beauty, its independence. Um, we even, there's no official passport stamp, but we ended up climbing up this mountain and I wanted a passport stamp from San Marino because you, you drove into it and you fly into Rimini and you go to San Marino. And then from that point, I had have my little San Marino uh, stamp and that meant everything, just how breathtaking that little country was. It was absolutely breathtaking. So that was probably my favorite area, I would I, think. I feel I like now go on YouTube and look that uh, it, You just painted a visual. I feel like all of us were like, oh, it, no, I want to look it up. It, it was beautiful. It's just, just a little slice. It's located in Italy, but so is Vatican City. You could probably take half a day just to explore. And it was, you just sit on top of a turret and you're just like, yeah, this is nice. But it was beautiful. So that place, that place is one of my favorites. Thank you for sharing that with us. And I, I feel it. I feel y'all on like, how could you ask us to pick our one favorite? Cause I'm sitting here like, oh my gosh, pick one. So I'm sorry for the question, but if I have to pick one, maybe in the proximity of, I think it would be Japan. I really love Japan because I really love eating. And I think Japanese food is some of the most delicious food ever. But the other thing that I really love about Japan, I feel really safe there. I feel like the, the crime rate is really low and I like to be out and about doing stuff often on my own. So, um, and I try not to have like a false sense of security. I know that, you know, bad things can happen anywhere, but that's really important to me feeling like I'm safe. So I think Japan, and I am gonna slide in a little bit of Burning Man. That's like my favorite place to travel to and dance. Um, it's my favorite place in the world. And again, it's like some place that I feel very safe and very free. Um, so yeah, and a lot of your, um, answers really made me feel like I need to check some of these other places out, <laughs> some of the other places that you all described. Um, so if any, does anyone else have anything that they want to share before we wrap up? 
Donna does. Donna just wants to say thank you. Um, I'm the whole Black Belly Dance Bundle has been a joy even in the opening stages. And I just want to say the level of organization, the intelligence of the questions, the, um, the ability for all of us to connect as black professional uh, dancers to me is rare, precious, and I'm just very grateful. And I have a lot of admiration for absolutely all of my fellows in the room and for you and Tiffany, thank you so much. Thank you. Tiffany and I are so ecstatic that all of you are joining us on this journey. This brand new project seems to be going really well. It's been really fun. Um, so yeah, thank you all so much for joining this podcast episode. I had such a great time speaking to all of you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Tiffany. What an amazing finale to our three-episode series here on Yala Rocks for the Black Belly Dance Bundle. Sharing my platform with these amazing dancers has been an absolute honor, and hopefully we'll be inviting everyone back for their own solo episodes sometime in the future. And these roundtables have been awesome, so expect more of those to come your way. You can get the details to follow Donna, Lotus, Nefertiti, Razi, Lara, and Ebony on the show notes page at thebellydancebundle.com slash 92. And of course, if you're listening before February 25th, your time is running out to get the 2022 edition of the Black Belly Dance Bundle. So make sure to get your copy before the sale is over. And if you're listening to this far in the future, make sure you follow our amazing guests to see what they're up to now. You're going to want to be a part of it. And as for what's next here on the podcast, well, I'll see you in just a couple of weeks. We're going to be taking a minute to look at what's happened to our goals so far this year. Don't worry, mine have fallen apart too. And see how we can reframe and rework ourselves back on track with some compassion and clarity. Until then, check out the Black Belly Dance Bundle and make sure to go and tell our guests how much you've enjoyed these episodes. And feel free to subscribe anywhere that podcasts are found. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening. Mm -hmm.